Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Estee Lauder Companies. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunnawardner, and in this episode, I'm joined by Clinique Pro Derm, Dr. Emma Wedgworth. That's right, we have a dermatologist in the house. Long-time listeners will know I've been a beauty writer for magazines for a long time, and it's fair to say, right now is a very exciting time in beauty, especially when it comes to skincare. There's more information, more understanding, and more choice than ever before. And while that is wonderful, what Emma and I are going to do in this episode is try to cut through the tidal wave of information that's out there and address some of your most asked skincare questions. Emma explains what she believes to be the cornerstone of great skincare and looking after your skin. We discuss why protecting your skin is so vital, the rise and the future of bespoke skincare, understanding what your skin really needs, how to know if your skincare is actually working, the emotional connection we have with our complexions, and much, much more. So, talking all things skincare, healthy skin, and the future of beauty, it's Clinique Proderm, Dr. Emma Wedgworth on The Emma Gunn Show. Dr. Emma Wedgworth. Good morning. <laughs> you are Clinique's Proderm, a Clinique Proderm. Yes. There's a whole squad of you. There's a whole squad internationally, I know. I know, it's very exciting. But I have pinned you down today, literally in an office, um, to quiz you and really to um, do an episode that takes us a little bit back to skin basics. You are a dermatologist, mm-hmm. which means you went to school. (laughs) I went to school for such a long time, Emma. How long does a dermatologist go to school? Like, what is the, is it? So, six years at medical school, and then about five years doing general medicine, and then another, I think I did another five years doing dermatology, and then I eventually qualified as a proper bona fide dermatologist. That's a long time. That's That's like 16 years. You've got, you've just got to live and breathe it, haven't you? It's, It's It's my everything. Is it really? <laughs> um, actually, my skin is actually everything. And it, it infiltrates every aspect of my life. So I'm totally obsessed by how I treat my children's skin, how I treat my skin, what we use on mm. our skin. It becomes totally ingrained. I love that. And I, well, I very much enjoy speaking to people who know a lot more than I do. <laughs> That's my favourite thing to do, hence this podcast. Um, but I love that. I love that you, side note, I love that you're doing something that you love so much. I think you do, though. I, if, it's such an all-encompassing job that actually I think mm. if you don't, if you're not really passionate about it, 
you're not going to enjoy it at all. So yeah, it's it's brilliant, and it's just it's so. Uh, Everybody has something with their skin. Either they want mm. to know what to use on their skin or they've had a skin problem. And so everybody is so engaged about skin. It's just, it's a fantastic career to have, actually. I, especially now, I would imagine, because we were just talking, listeners, before I hit record, we were having a hilarious conversation <laughs> over some coffee and some <laughs> squidgy ginger cake, that... Um, there's so much information out there and that's actually one of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode because there's almost like a tidal wave of information there are so many ingredients that we didn't know existed before because they used to be in a cocktail on a on a product inky list and now there are standalone serums and so although we have visibility and maybe a a slightly better as a consumer a slightly better understanding of what is in our skincare and what skincare ingredients actually do what their function is it is incredibly confusing right oh absolutely i mean sometimes people just come for a consultation because they genuinely don't know what to use Mm. and i think as i was saying to you before that although we have all this information accessible sometimes it's actually just quite difficult to sort of consolidate it and assimilate it if you don't have the background knowledge um which say obviously i do after all those years of training so it is really confusing But I'm overwhelmingly really positive about the fact that people are now looking in terms of Mm. what they're actually using on their skin. So they're not just picking it because of the bottle or because of the trends. They're actually trying to work out what's in their skincare and how that's going to benefit them. And I just think that's so positive. That's so true. That is so true, actually. It's not just about what will look nice on my dressing table Mm -hmm. or what what does this packaging say about me? (laughs) It's what is this going to do for me? It's a different dialogue. Absolutely. And that's what we should be thinking about. You know, skincare, skin is a living, breathing organ. Mm. And in the same way, I always say to my patients, you know, you, you think quite carefully about what you eat. You, know, you need to be thinking that sort of same rigour about what you put on your skin because it makes such a difference. And I think in dermatology now, we're learning about how much skincare can actually impact on the health of our skin. Um, so it's really exciting. It is, an, it is a very exciting time. And obviously you are working with Clinique, which means that you obviously really rate what they're doing in terms of their skincare. I mean, I've spoken about this on the podcast before. Uh, Three-step was the first, mm-hmm. like, the first proper, when my skin was, I think when I hit my teens and my skin was beginning to go nuts, it was like, right, we're going to take you to, we're going to take you to Clinique and we're going to get you a bonus time. We'll go when there's a bonus time on and you're going to get your three-step. Yeah, definitely. I think because it's got its roots in dermatological practice, you know, and the founder of Clinique is somebody that's really sort of big in terms of, cosmetic dermatology and lots and lots of of research and expertise and I think I think that's why it's a brand that does appeal to dermatologists because it's Mm. all about the skin science Mm. and so speaking of that I mean you obviously work with it as a dermatologist but um what was have you did you ever have that thing that I had the kind of going up to the counter and buying the skincare with Clinique well I was there sort of by proxy so my sister was marched up to the Clinique counter and I remember it so vividly not because of three-step but because she used to be really sensitive in the sun and so my mum had worked out that the only brand that actually didn't make her break out or into rashes Mm. um when we went on holiday was Clinique so I remember being you know the younger sister being marched up and then over time I gradually progressed to like my dramatically different lotion um, and the black honey lip stain which was literally oh, my teenage years my goodness I mean the almost lipstick black honey <laughs> it was so good my mum quite liked it because it wasn't too much I loved it it was it was it was brilliant that is iconic I remember the foot going to a, a press breakfast and uh, being handed it and I, what witchery is this and just now, if I've, I've still got one somewhere, and every now and again I'll put it on, and I just think, oh, you're so bossy. <laughs> you're so teenage. I know. I mean, it was just, it was a big thing for me. Well, yeah, I do like the, I mean, I've, always, I've said on this podcast before as well, my first um, eyeshadow, I think it was a bonus time, actually. Again, another one, where I, um, I got the down-to-earth eyeshadow duo and the Just Raisin lipstick, and I felt like such a baller I was so excited because it was like my first designer uh, makeup um so as we've talked about we've got all the ingredients out there the way that uh the way that skincare is formulated right now does seem to be quite different Mm -hmm. in the sense of it's um single ingredient focus Mm. so you can almost be your own little apothecary in your Mm. bathroom um is that the way forward is the bespoke skincare system that we're beginning to see is that the way forward I mean I think from my perspective it really is the only way Um, and it's something that I just sort of bang on about all the time and we've all got 
like different skin types we've all got different skin needs you know we don't all wear the same size clothes why would we all use exactly the same skincare and so I think it is really really important to work out what are your individual skincare concerns and then really trying to address them with sort of evidence-based skincare and I think there's a lot of examples now of how we can actually do that so um the new Clinique ID range, which has got lots and lots of different formulations. So you work out what's your skin need and then what sort of hydration do you need? And then you 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 have 15 different combinations and then you can combine that to really try and pick out what you what you want. And that's a really great example of how we can start to try and do this, even when we're just buying our skincare on the shop floor. What are the 15 combinations? So you've got your hydration needs. So is that, um, I've se- I, I know the range, so this yeah. is you've got your gel texture moisturiser, exactly. you've got your traditional mm-hmm. DDML as we call it in the biz, dramatic oh, DDML, I love moisturizing this, lotion. oh my god. And also the lighter version of the yeah. dramatically different moisturising lotion, and then you put these cartridges in. Exactly. And the cartridges have a cocktail of actives or single actives? A cocktail of actives, so really trying to look at the concerns, so for example fatigue or lines and wrinkles, irritation, if your pores are a bit bigger, um, so those are the sorts of concerns that it can actually try and address. Um, really common concerns, and I think that's what you know, you're looking at, that taking a huge amount of um, experience and saying what are the main concerns that um, people have and then trying to deal with those in, in the most effective ways. And I think the thing I like about it so much, again, it's very typical of, of how Clinique have sort of structure their skincare, is it puts, puts you in control, but also it takes the faff because it's just... It's one bottle. Yeah, exactly. And it's your active and it's your yeah. moisturiser and it's not... I'm sure lots of people listening to this will love to layer serums, you know, and, and have all the little... Dif- all the different bottles. But actually, if you're a little bit more efficient in, in time efficient or whatever it might be, you can just do it in a couple of pumps and you're done. Yeah, time efficient or lazy, Emma. Yes. <laughs> lazy, like me. And how would you... For the listener who maybe wants a bit of clarification, how would you describe a bespoke skincare regime? I think it is just about tailoring it to your skin and your skin's needs. Um, and, and I've got a few pointers about how to actually work out what your skin needs. That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I think a lot of us assume, I assumed for years I had dry skin, mm-hmm. but it was dehydrated. Um, so it, it's, it's easy to get it wrong and then use the skin, well, I... I say it's easy to get it wrong. Listener, I got it wrong and I was using the wrong products. <laughs> we all get it wrong sometimes, it's totally fine. So what are the pointers for figuring out what your skin's needs are? So from a derm perspective, when I'm seeing patients in my clinic, what I'll start by doing is having a really detailed conversation about um, how a skin behaves, the sort of background of their skin. So you talked a little bit about dry skin. You know, Are you somebody that suffered from, say, eczema as a child? Are you someone that gets dry skin elsewhere? Um, what happens throughout the day, what happens with different environmental conditions, what happens um, when you are in sort of different circumstances. Um, and then, then what I do next is have a really, really close look at the skin um, and then try and work out exactly sort of what's going on and how we can, we, can, we can improve things and take it forward. And it's obvious not everybody can see a dermatologist. Um, mm. But actually, before you do buy your products, you can, you can start to do this yourself. So you can think about the way that your skin behaves, think about what you want, um, and then take a close look in the mirror and actually have a really close look about what your skin's looking like rather than perhaps thinking, you know, actually, this is how I've always thought that my skin's been. Mm. Um, and there are lots of ways that I think now with, with new technology that that's starting to improve. So um, the Clinique counters are starting to get... Um, a facial analysis tool which is called clinical reality which is looking at the skin asking some really searching questions about the nature of the skin and then trying to formulate things and I think those sort of algorithms which are based on you know lots and lots of clinical research are going to be really helpful to try and um, identify what people's needs are Um, but you can also do it yourself. Mm. Can you I mean can you poke and prod your skin and figure it out poke and prod because I remember I think I've seen something online where it's like if you pull your cheek and this happens then your skin is dry if you prod your forehead and this happens you have combination skin so <laughs> the poking and the prodding we, I'm liking we your have face. really got to be careful about this <laughs> there is no room for implements 
tools, mm-hmm. anything like that. But yeah, I mean, if you've got, I actually don't like magnifying mirrors very much. And people come in and tell me that they've got <laughs> I hate them, Emma. Well, literally, whose skin is going to look amazing in there? But but you know, if you get very close and you do sort of gently, gently, mind, ex, you know, extend the skin and stretch a little bit. Have you got lots of bumps underneath? Mm-hmm. Um, are you noticing that, say, lines underneath your eyes are more exaggerated, and that's something that sort of changes from time to time? And that's often the first sign of dryness. You know, it doesn't have to be red and flaky, but suddenly you're looking at your skin and like, gosh, my suddenly my, my my lines under my eyes are looking much much more um, obvious than normal, and that can be a sign of dryness. So, a little bit of gentle extension of the skin, fine, but the poking and the prodding and the tools mm. and the implements, no. We shouldn't Step be away. poking and prodding ourselves no, in we the face. Not. There is no room, and you know, as an aside, people sometimes say, "Is it okay to squeeze spots?" No, no, it's not. There's no room for squeezing of spots. You're looking really worried here. I'm looking very, very guilty. <laughs> you might have noticed I'm spotting a Nikki Taylor-style bump under my nose, which I'm try- I was tempted to put brown coll on, but it is a zit. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. I hadn't noticed. I was too busy admiring your leopard skin blouse. I just hadn't noticed. <laughs> Great. Good. Okay, well, that's a good one. one <laughs> new camouflage for spots. Leopard print. It's a neutral, people. It's a neutral. Um, so what are, given that there is so much focus on individual ingredients, what for you are the top three and I, why? I can't believe that you tried to pin me down to three ingredients. Well, I'm a swine. What can I, I tell mean, you? I mean, what, what, what can I say? I think this is, goes back to the bespoke thing. Actually, we all have our own three ingredients. And I mean, that's true. Actually, mm-hmm. the same three ingredients are not necessarily um, the, the same for all of us but I did have a think about this um, and I was thinking about what are my priorities when I'm trying to establish a skincare regime um, for people and I think there are three big priorities for me so cell protection um, and really trying to protect your skin we more than ever now you know our skin's having to last us 80 90 years you know our life expectancy has increased so much <laughs> sorry I just really that's a really wonderful way of putting it it's true but also quite dark <laughs> But I like You've it. Got to be practical no, about you these do, things, you Emma. You can't, you've got to face up. To no, these I enjoy things. it. I enjoy it. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, but it's true. So you have to protect your um, protect your skin. And you know, I am so boring as a dermatologist, but sun protection is still the most effective strategy. Um, and filters like um, the mineral filters, particularly like zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, I think are really, really nice. Great for sensitive skins as well. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, a lot of people who say I can't wear. Um, I can't wear sun cream because either it irritates my skin or it breaks me out. And actually, I think there are so many great filters out there now that, that we can all find one that suits us. So that's definitely probably my top. Right. So speaking of SPF, mm-hmm. we're talking about um, facial skincare. Yes. And one of the barriers to entry for facial SPF, I think for a lot of women and listeners, I'm I'm trying to speak for you here, so I'm I'm guessing is the texture mm-hmm. and where does it go in the routine? Where mm-hmm. does it go in the regime? Does it go under my makeup? Mm-hmm. Is it a terrible base for my makeup? Mm-hmm. Is there not something I can put over the top? Mm-hmm. So, what's the answer to that, really? I think the answer is that sun protection has just come on in leaps and bounds over the past 10 years. And so if you're somebody that wasn't able to tolerate it, go and have another look at formulas because there are some amazing lightweight formulas. Mm. Um, we've The zinc oxide, so some, some people may remember zinc oxide from being that very thick, white sort of paste that they put but it's been microionized so they've basically broken down the molecules mm. so it's much much smaller it doesn't have that same sort of white pasty appearance anymore and there's some beautiful finishes Clinique do some um, really nice sort of mineral sunscreens which are very very light and you barely feel them after mm. you put them on and so you can either use it under makeup and it's always going to be the last step in your skincare regime before makeup that's mm-hmm. where it should go um, but I actually think that there are some lovely tinted formulas which actually are almost like sort of BB creams mm. um, and I try and say to people instead of having that people say oh I've got SPF in my makeup and they're like well actually that's not enough you should be using a great SPF that can almost act like your makeup um, and so for a lot of people a tinted sunscreen on a day that they're not sort of going out is actually enough so I think there are some great formulas out there Okay, so you don't have to use loads of it if you're using a colour product that contains SPF. You do have to use quite a lot of it. You do have to use yes. quite a lot of it. Um, you know, to get the SPF on 
the bottle, you need to use about half a teaspoonful, which is actually a lot. Mm-hmm. But but the, the tint is not the same as using that amount of foundation. Right. And that's why we advise not to use um, just purely, that's why we advise to use a separate skin um, sun care product, because actually they're formulated in such a way that they can look nice and light. So mm. I, I do think that the formulations have just really, really been refined to the point where they're very usable now and wearable. I must admit, in, in my in my years as a beauty writer, <laughs> I have definitely noticed when SPF products first came out and it was like, yeah, you just use this on top of your moisturiser. You'd be at launches rubbing them into the back oh. of your hand with a spade. And now they, they don't feel any different from... No, they, they really don't. don't. They're fantastic. And, and, you know, there's lots of things... I often just use the Super, uh, super City Block as, as my only mm. coverage, and I'm a proper makeup girl. So, you know, it, it, it really can be done. Mm. Um, so that's the first one, protection. Yes, protection. Um, then the other thing's about skin barriers. So this is something that we've been really, really interested in um, in dermatology. It's about the ability of your skin to act as a barrier to the environment, the ability to hold water in. Um, and there's so much evidence now that, you know, perhaps some of our old... Um, mechanisms of looking after our skin the fact that we're all quite clean now um, that actually we're breaking down our skin barrier quite a lot and we know that skin barrier is important in dry skin conditions but it's also important as we get older and we age it's one of the big things that starts to go as we age and so really trying to protect your skin barrier Um, and I'm really interested in the microbiome which is sort of the balance of good and bad bacteria on the skin because that's what's part of keeping it healthy Um, and I'm really loving the sort of pre and probiotic inclusions in skincare at the moment so ingredients like the lactobacillus ferment and those sorts of things to really support the natural um, physiology of our skin. And I think that's also what's exciting about trying to change our focus. A lot of people are really keen on using natural skincare and sometimes that's a brilliant thing to do, but actually what we want to be doing is using something physiological. That means it reflects the natural biology of our skin. So skin barrier is really important to me. Um, so it's not so it's not just a case of papaya's natural, so it must be good for you. You're not a fruit. A hundred percent. Right, okay. I, I'm constantly lecturing people about saying like, well, nettles are not good for your skin and they're natural. Um, you know, there's just so many things that can be so irritant. Mm. Um, there are some wonderful plant-based products, but actually it needs to be carefully formulated so that it is physiological, reflecting our natural skin biology. Because mm-hmm. like you say, we're not papayas. No, if no. only. <laughs> um, what, how do you know if you've got a prebiotic or a probiotic in your skincare? So uh, most things will actually say that, that that's what they contain. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of different products now which are coming out with those sorts of um, areas. Or you look for things like lactobacillus is one of the most common ones, probiotic aspects to, to really try and restore our natural microbiome. And so what that will do is it will basically keep moisture in and, and act as, I know you've used the word barrier, but it's a, it adds to the protection element of your skin being able to look after itself, defend exactly. itself from external exactly. aggressors. Exactly. Okay. okay, and number three? Number three. Um, so skin cell renewal. Um, and what we know in so many situations is that our skin cell turnover can become really sluggish. So our skin naturally exfoliates itself. Your skin cells move from the bottom of the top layer of skin bottom of the top well, no the, the, the top layer of skin is called the epidermis and there's a bottom layer of that and your skin cells there naturally move up the skin they die off and then they shed off and that's your natural cell turnover and sometimes that becomes quite sluggish and that can be for a number of reasons it becomes sluggish as we get older it can become very sluggish if you're prone to breakouts and you're getting spots it can do various different things so trying to sort of speed up that whole process um, can result in our skin just generally looking much brighter much healthier um, and for me retinol is one of the um, most sort of obvious candidates to do that there are other things that can do it as well so AHAs like salicylic or AHAs sorry like um, lactic acid glycolic acid BHAs like salicylic acid um, but retinol I think for me works really from the bottom up to, to really try and change that cell turnover and this is a question that actually came from the Facebook group, but it seems mm. like a good good time to mention it. Um, does everybody suit retinol? No. Um, and that goes back to bespoke skincare. You know, not everybody is suitable for retinol. There is no one-size-fits-all. Mm. But it... I think the other thing to say is that if you have sensitive skin, it doesn't mean that you cannot use retinol. Mm -hmm. I have so many patients who think that they have really sensitive skin that I'm never going to be able to introduce it. But actually, if we do it in really careful ways and you do it very slowly, you can um, get used to it. So I think a lot of people can do it. But of course, it's not right for everybody. Yeah. Is it could it be maybe you're using it too early or 
you're using it, you're literally going from having used cold creams, <clears throat> as I did, to then using <laughs> retinol and your skin goes, what? Um, yeah, I mean, you've okay. got to be, you've got to be gentle. We, we all want a, a gentle transition into change, don't mm. we? And our skin's exactly the same. If we suddenly start to say, you know, we're going to put this on two, twice a day for, you know, really intensively, our skin's not going to like that. If we gradually ease into things, it's much, much better to use. And I think, Again, that's another thing to realize that all of this change, it is a process. Mm. Skin takes a little bit of time to change. And mm. actually, it's really important that we're patient around that. And we, we, we take the long view, essentially, yeah. when we're trying to look after our skin. Um, speaking of our skin takes time to change, if mm. you are starting a new ingredient, again, this has come from the, my most excellent listeners in the Facebook group. <laughs> um, what, how long do you trial a product before you draw a conclusion about how well it has served you? So it depends. Um, it depends on the ingredient. Um, for some ingredients, if you're trying to have a, an impact on cell turnover, for example, um, you probably want to be using something for a minimum of eight weeks. So if you're using things like retinols or active ingredients, um, if you're using things like niacinamide, all of those will need at least sort of eight work, weeks to, to really work and for your skin to get used to, mm. to doing those. So any sort of active ingredient, even things like um, AHAs, BHAs, they'll all take a little bit of time. For something like um, um, the moisturizer, you're probably going to know a lot quicker whether your skin likes it, mm. whether your skin um, is is suitable for it, and if you like the particular texture. So I think it does really depend on the type of product. But for active creams, at least eight weeks. Okay, that's really good. Um, that's a good ballpark, actually. That's a good figure, eight weeks. A couple of skin cell cycles. So our skin cells turn over approximately every four weeks. Okay. So you need to wait at least a couple of skin cell cycles. Um, even eight weeks, I hate to say it, is still early-ish days. So really? sometimes I'll go at 12 weeks. Um, generally, in, in dermatology, we often work sort of eight to 12-week cycles, but not much before eight weeks, I'm afraid. And often it can get worse before it gets better, particularly when you're using something like retinol. Yeah, see, I often, I often enjoy that. I call it turbulence. I feel like when you start using a new product and you experience turbulence, oh, I think, like oh, I cannot wait till this passes. Yeah, no. Because then I expect that it'll suddenly, you know, we'll hit, we'll hit our cruising altitude and it'll be great. But in a way, you're right. It's showing that it's got some sort of biological effect on your skin. Mm. And that's why it's really worth trying to persevere. And particularly if you're a bit breakout prone and you're using retinols, you know, there's a very, very common this sort of purging aspect of things mm. where all your pores are unblocking and your skin's mounting an inflammatory response to things. So... Absolutely, you just have to ride that wave. I'm glad you like it. I, I, I haven't met many other people that like it, Emma. Well, just because I, whenever people say, oh, I used this new cream last night and look at my skin, it's amazing, it's brilliant. I think, well, that has had very, very little impact on your... You have to leave it. So I've, I guess I've always been a, a wait and see. And then if you have a bit of turbulence... You're like the perfect derm patient. <laughs> then that's a good sign. It shows that you're reacting. Anyway. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Okay, but to that end, how long do you ride out a reaction before you think, actually, this is not agreeing with me? What's turbulence and what's actually not great? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. 
obviously if something's very severe you stop and mm-hmm. you get some advice about it so I think I think it does depend on the severity of the reaction um I wouldn't want to see people that are having sort of swollen eyes and you know generally we yeah, do yeah. sometimes see contact allergies and actually you just want to stop things as soon as you can it does depend a little bit on the product so some products are notorious for stinging um so for example things like azelaic acid will definitely mm. sting but often it doesn't have a detrimental effect on on the skin per se and then I think if it goes outside the norm of you know what we see retinols for example it's very common to get a little bit of dryness and flaking it's very common to get a little bit of breakout when you first start using it Mm. but if it goes much beyond that um, then I think you must start to think about why that's happening and whether there's something else in your regime that's that's causing problems so for me it's the severity of the reaction Mm. whether I predicted it or not depending on the ingredient and whether it falls outside the sort of normal distribution of what I see within my normal okay so anything if it's stingy or the reaction is anything inf- inflammatory, like red and sore, like maybe yeah, ease back. pedal back. Okay. Um, I think using it a couple of times, if you're not sure, if you've got sensitive skin, one of the biggest uh, helps is to start things really slowly. So once a week for two weeks, twice a week for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like I said, take the long um, view of the whole thing. If you're super sensitive, patch test everything. You know, pop it behind your ear for you know 24 hours. Make sure that after 24 to 48 hours, in the same way as you would with hair dye, that you're not having a reaction. Um, I think there are lots of different ways. Honestly, think that's the first time. It makes such perfect sense, but I don't think I've ever heard it in the context of skincare. I I do for my very sensitive patients. So if people, some people come to us and say that I just react to so many things, and then I well patch test it. First of all, patch test it on an area that's not your face, just to make sure you're not having Mm. a general reaction. Then do it on half a cheek, and then you know gradually sort of build up. Um, No, I love that. (laughs) Twenty years later, they're established on it every day. It's amazing. Okay, right. So we've got in your top three ingredients down. We know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. With all the products, treatments, and gadgets available, what do you be? What do you believe is essential to really, really see results in your skincare? Because that's what I know. Listeners to this podcast, um, and the people who've been engaging with this episode on on the Facebook group, they really they, they want to see best results. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely fair enough. I'm actually somebody that doesn't want to do 20 steps without seeing some results. I'm busy, Mm. a bit lazy, want to actually use things that properly work. So I think the key is to use essentially evidence-based skincare. You know, Mm -hmm. for so long we've been using products that our friends have told us to use or that, you know, we've heard are really good or like you said before, look nice on our bathroom shelves. And actually Mm. sometimes they're not the best products um, to, to actually change what we need to change within our skin. Um, and I am a bit of a broken record, but it does go back to identify your skin needs mm. and pick out. And there's so much incredible evidence. There's so many people now that are really, really good on Instagram, on social media, you know, people who um, are actually saying some really, really smart things about skincare um, and use those products. Don't go overboard. Start really simple. Um, mm. Because that's the other thing people sometimes try and do is use use far too many products. And then you're not sure I'm reacting to, which which is it that I'm reacting to? Start one ingredient at a time. And keep everything quite simple and then build up slowly. And I think you, we see huge changes with good skincare. Mm. So it's just, yeah, it's just a case of simplifying and then building on. Simplifying, um, identifying what you need, picking the right ingredients and then building on it and being patient. Mm. Um, and then gradually, gradually improving on that. Um, you speak to people in clinic every day. I'm presuming men and women. Yeah. What's the split, would you say, men and women in your practice? So in my practice, um, in private practice, it is much more um, women than men, mm-hmm. but it's definitely changing. Um, and I don't think that's a reflection of the fact that men don't have skincare or, or skincare needs. They don't have skin issues. They absolutely do. It's a way around... I think that the men sort of access healthcare. Sometimes it's it's around the stigma attached to being, you know, much more involved in mm. that. So I, I think I think we're just going to see an increase in the amount of men. And sometimes I do feel like perhaps they don't get as much attention as they deserve. <laughs> well, they've well, got, they've got clinique for men. <laughs> oh, totally, <laughs> you're doing all right, boys. Yeah, exactly. Um, but do you see? I mean, you must see the emotional connection between for women with their skin women and men I mean the amount of times that people cry in my office and I try not to take it personally but but genuinely because it is so disturbing and and I think people who've never really suffered from skincare problems just don't understand and the more chronic it is Mm. the more of an emotional issue it starts to take on and 
that's why so many of us wanted to become dermatologists. I don't mean so many of us on a, on a general level, but if you ask the average dermatologist, why did you want to do dermatology? Most of us will say because it has such an impact on people's quality of life and far more than most people would even think. And even minor skin conditions mm. can actually genuinely ruin self-confidence and lives. So um, there is a huge emotional connection. Do you see, um, I know it sounds bonkers, but do you see a physical transformation? Someone comes into you day one, do you then see them come back later when things are, have evened out or are better and that they carry themselves differently? It, it has changed lives. So, I mean, sometimes by treating skin conditions, you do genuinely change lives. What's interesting, though, is that sometimes the psychological impact has been so chronic that actually even when you transform the skin, people still feel, they, they still don't feel confident about themselves mm. and they're still very consumed by it and so for a lot of times it's actually a, a combination so particularly in s- severe skin disease it's a combination of treating the skin disease but also really trying to help people um and and their psyche and their mental well-being as well there's such a big connection between mm. mind and skin are people hypercritical are we are we so, so hypercritical much. of ourselves that we sometimes we sometimes carry this emotional burden and actually it's not as bad as we might think. Like, what for somebody who deals with this day in, day out, what's the emotional piece of advice? Obviously, you've got the dermatological expertise and the years in school, but what um, what's your what's the emotional um, education that you've yeah. had by treating people? Um, the first thing is, I never ever judge how much I think it should affect someone. So, mm-hmm. what I will say to patients is, I'll get an idea because I I have a really nice amount of time to be able to talk to people about um, their sort of the, the way that they perceive their skin and I think you get a very quick idea about how to the outside world it might seem and how what an impact it's having on people's lives and sometimes there is there is a discrepancy mm. um, and so sometimes if I see somebody that actually has quite mild skin disease um, but actually is having a huge amount of an impact um, then I will say look I can get your skin better but um, I do think that actually this has had a big impact on mm. you and that we need to work on, on the way that you see yourself. Um, in, in lots of places, we work very closely with psychologists. Um, there are a lot of amazing um, charities and things around sort of appearance-related distress. There's a lot of research around it. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time talking to people about um, the emotional aspect of it because it's huge. Mm. Um, and sometimes you can fix it by treating the skin, but not always. Interesting. It makes a lot of sense, really, because especially if you have, I don't if it happens in your teens, I'm just thinking about what happened with me, because that's the only real personal experience I can draw on. But I know I definitely uh, was, I would hide in plain sight (laughs) because of my skin. Mm. And even once my skin cleared, it didn't, I, I still felt like I was wearing it if that makes so it makes complete sense that you have to work on but you have to sometimes work with a psychologist to actually break down the walls that that can build up yeah um and I think the other thing is that so many people when because skin conditions are visible there are so many comments that people make so sometimes I hear from my patients what other people have said to them um, and, you know, having that repeatedly is just mm. so tough to deal with, particularly if it happens at a very sort of formative time of mm. your life, you know, in your teens when you're so vulnerable to criticism and to what pe- other people think of you. And it's such an, such a pivotal time when your self-image is developing. Mm. Um, so adolescent skin care, I think, is, is a, something that's very... And adolescent skin is something that's really, really interesting. Mm. And since you have started working in dermatology... What are the... Do you get the same questions? I've said this before about working as a beauty writer. Um, I still get the same questions every... Now that I did nearly 20 years ago. And the the, the first one is, how do I get rid of dark circles? Yes, that's a very common one. Yeah, day in, day out. Do you have the same sort of things that you just... I think we do. I get constant skin questioning. If mm. it's not, you know, somebody at the school gate is trying to, like, catch my <laughs> eye or a WhatsApp or just... It's just constant. It's an absolute occupational hazard. I never thought <laughs> that this would be um, like it is. But it's, it's great because I am really passionate about skin. Um, I think very similar sort of questions. You know, what can I do? What's the best products to use for anti-aging? Mm-hmm. Um, so I get a lot of, like, what should I be using on my skin? That's. I mean, I think that's the most common question that I tend to get. You're right, under eye area, mm. which is always a tricky one. Um, increasingly because I've got kids I I hear what should I use on my children's skin what can I do about eczema Mm. Um, very very similar sorts of questions Um, 
And in your and during your career, have you been able to adapt your answers based on the innovations that have been happening? Definitely. Um, so partly around sort of clinical my clinical experience, um, but also because because obviously I am sort of abreast of all the changes that are going on. Mm. Yeah, really trying to to bring those and and I think sometimes that is a problem with what's going on in science and research is not always straight away brought to the consumer Mm. so yeah definitely trying to impact um, skincare practices on a more sort of population level and in addition to the questions um, I'm I'm also curious about um, uh, beliefs like what are the misconceptions that a lot of people have about skincare you uh, you must get are you doing a, quite a bit of myth busting in clinic? Oh, there's a lot of myth busting going <laughs> on. Um, I think I think there are lots and lots of myths around what we use. Um, I mean, one thing we've talked about quite a lot um, this morning is about that there is a one size fits all. That you know, one product is great for everybody, um, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, higher prices always means that it's going to be more effective, um, which is not always true. Um, more steps means it's going to be more effective, and sometimes actually going simple is is actually the way forward for mm-hmm. people. Um, a lot of myths around sun. Um, I mean, I think you probably gathered how I feel about sun. Um, but I think a lot of myths around sun. Um, a lot of people are sort of saying, well, sun cream is really bad for you. Sun cream causes cancer. Um, the myth that sun is always good for something. And then the myth that sun's always bad, which is not true either. Mm. Even from my dermatological perspective, you know, there are benefits um, for some people. I think more recently, the sort of oily skin trend, the oily skin is actually dehydrated and needs more oils. And I think there's been a lot of myths around facial oils in the past few years. Fighting oils with oils. Fighting oils with oils, yeah. Not something that I'm a a great fan of. You're not a big fan of that at all. It's not like like poles attract. It's it's no. No. (laughs) No. From a medical perspective, from a sebaceous gland perspective which is where your oil is produced from it's it's a no what you can have is oily skin that's dehydrated so mm-hmm. you know your sebaceous glands which is what produces your sebum which is what produces your oil and your skin barrier function which is what holds your water in they are two separate things mm. um so oily skin can definitely be hydrated and may need hydration um but it's not due to a lack of sort of sebaceous gland function don't do it with an oil don't do it with an oil. <laughs> um, and obviously, there's not just it's not just about stopping at skincare. Where do you stand on uh, what we should be using in our makeup I th- for the benefit <clears throat> of our skin long term as well? Yeah, I, I, and I think I think this is a really big question. You know, good skin is not just about you know washing your face and putting on a serum at night. You know, good skin is about your lifestyle. It's about what you put into your body. It's about what you expose your skin to from the outside. Um, and so I'm all about when I see people about you know, trying to just work out because if you're putting a huge amount of skincare, you're spending a huge amount on skincare, but then you're smoking, for example. Mm. I mean, frankly, there's not that much point. You know, if you're going, is in, it really that detrimental? Smoking is really detrimental to the skin. It's alongside sun. It's one of the big extrinsic factors in our aging. So we've got two ways that we age. One is intrinsic, and that's partly around our genetics. It's partly around our general health. And yes, there's some things that we can do to change that, but it's quite difficult to totally reshift that. Whereas the extrinsic aging is all the things that we expose our skin to. Um, And that might be sun, it might be um, cigarettes, it might be diet, it might be alcohol. Um, And I think the two top factors um, in extrinsic aging are sun, without a doubt, um, smoking, and then maybe pollution is coming up as well. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes, the pollution issue. Um, And so what about... um, So... With that aside, what about things like makeup? makeup? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, we should definitely be thinking carefully about what type of makeup we put on. Um, and again, this goes back to, you know, often people who are very sort of breakout prone are really trying to cover things up. And as much as I absolutely don't advise that you stop using makeup altogether, because otherwise I would be out of a job. Um, actually, there are some products which can be much more sort of pore blocking, oil based. Um, I... I actually love Clinique's makeup range, and it's something that I really advise to patients, particularly those with sensitive skin. A lot of people come in and say, actually, my skin reacts to so much. Mm. Um, but a lot of makeups now, I think, are starting to incorporate skincare within their makeup. So, you know, actually having a really nice base so that it will sit really nicely, adding things like hyaluronic acid to lipsticks so that actually yeah. you've got a much more even um, regime in it. And it makes a huge amount of sense um, that actually at the same time as covering things up or you know actually you know highlighting things that actually you're having skin benefits as well yeah one of my favorite and listeners know this and especially if you follow me on instagram one of my favorite skincare products is the super concentrate from the moisture surge yeah franchise and they now have um a tinted 
I'm going to get it wrong now, but they have a tinted formula, which is which is amazing because my skin does get quite tight in the afternoon. If yeah. I wear that, I don't have that. And it's just these hybrid formulas Absolutely. that you ca- that are available now that make your skin feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's just so it's so such a pleasure. It, but it also, I mean, it, it makes sense from a sort of derm point of view. If you are People like the fact that immediately makeup makes you look better. Mm. If you've then got things that have got skincare benefits on, the compliance of that sort of thing is going to go up mm. massively. Um, so it's a, it's a win-win, definitely. Yes, it really is. Now, if you could go back and give your younger self three pieces of skincare <laughs> advice. Now, this is, this is Emma pre-dermatology school. Were you doing anything that you shouldn't have been? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be that smug, but I mean, I would quite like to say that I wasn't. I'm not actually joking. So I was so, so sun protection. I think for a lot of young people, you see, um, oh my God, how old do I sound when I say that? But for a lot of people in their teens and 20s, um, they are having a huge amount of sun. You know, it's fine. You go to pool parties, whatever it may be. But um, actually, there's a huge amount of damage that can be done at that time. And I know I sound horrendous, but actually I was so, so careful about sun protection from day zero. My friends used to laugh at me. We'd go on these, like, you know, Greek holidays after A-levels, and I would be the one, like, totally covered up in a parasol and then, like, religiously applying fake tan later on. But that's, again, something that I would, you know, pat myself on the head for as a a younger person, like, well done about sun protection. Um, Because I'm very, very fair. Sun protection does, again, like everything, it is about being bespoke I am mm. super fair um, and so actually if you are you've got to just embrace that and just say okay my skin does not react well to the sun I don't tan I don't have any melanin you know you just got to deal with that yeah. so that's one thing that I would have just emphasized to my younger self but luckily I did embrace it um, the other things I would have said would have been have the confidence to try and change things that you don't want to. I mean, definitely as a teen, I was a bit spotty, but you know, never it never really reached the threshold that I felt confident to do anything about it. Right. So I didn't feel that I could go to my doctor. I couldn't. I did. I, I probably did try and change things a little bit, but actually, I didn't have the confidence to take that sort of further. Mm-hmm. And so then you deal with you know get, trying to go to a party every weekend with a giant spot and just feeling a bit rubbish about it. When actually, there are so many ways that you can change that. So mm-hmm. I think having the confidence. Um, and taking the time to change things that you can change um, but that you know perhaps you think aren't bad enough and that's something I hear in clinic all the time people coming and saying well you know I I mean I know it's not that bad I don't want to be too vain and you're like stop you know we can change this Mm. we can do so many different things and you can do that with skincare as well Um, but I think if I could tell myself one thing as my sort of younger self it would be don't sweat the stuff that you can't change Um, and so for me I, I'm very, very fair and I'm very freckly and I'm not sort of freckly in the way of like, you know, Meghan Markle, just a few sort of speckles. I'm like that Irish, you know, really, really freckly. And it caused me a huge amount of distress when I was younger, um, which is ridiculous now. I look like, well, but actually I think it is about sort of embracing the things that you can change and just dealing with the stuff that you can't. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably would have been the single most important thing. Yeah, because we can't, I mean, having porcelain glass line free skin is actually not what we're supposed to look like anyway I mean it's just not um and 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 there are like I said there are some things you know being somebody like me that's freckly I mean short of staying in a darkened room the whole time and you know constantly covering myself in bleaching creams there's nothing you can really do Mm. about the way you're made Mm. um and you're right all of the sort of images that we see on social media or even things like you know you don't tend to see Disney princesses with birthmarks or you know mm. Disney princesses with lots of acne or whatever it may be and so I think we are programmed to hope that we're going to have this porcelain you know unlined skin yeah it's that thing is it's just actually the character <laughs> look for the character in your face not the perfection well I think if you aim for healthy skin that, that's, that's the mantra of a 41 year old woman <laughs> No, no, but aiming for healthy skin. Mm. And you can do that at any age. Yeah. And and that's what I try and really sort of emphasize to people. It's that we are trying to aim for healthy skin. And if mm. actually if your skin's healthy, it's going to look great mm. and it's going to last longer. Yes, <laughs> last longer. <laughs> when you're in your 90s, Emma, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> um, now, you are working with Clinique, so I do want to ask you, because I obviously, listeners to the show will know I have a lot of love for the brand. Yeah. I've worked with them for many years, but um, as a writing about them in magazines and whatnot, and 
I just wonder if you have any insight from a dermatologist, because I, as a consumer and as a beauty writer, definitely have my opinion on this. But from your perspective as a dermatologist, why do you think Clinique has been so successful for what is 50 50 years, half a century, Mm. of global skincare domination? Um, So obviously I'm a bit biased because I come from a dermatological perspective, but I think it is because it's based on skin science, it's based on um, dermatological practice, it's based on sort of research and what works and it's not based so much on trends so mm-hmm. or you know really focused more on sort of packaging and things like that it's really focused on the actual product within the skin and because of that it works um and i think that people have a huge amount of confidence in it as well so you know actually you'd be happy you were saying i was taken there um, that you'd be happy taking your teenager there yeah, you'd be happy yeah. taking your granny there you know because actually people trust in the brand because mm-hmm. it is based on those sorts of um credentials um and I also think the personalization I mean I remember sliding and up and down with a little yes! do you remember oh that gosh. um yeah the it's, sliders exactly. I, do they still have those at counter well they do but they're being superseded by the new clinical reality visual analysis and so you, you know, can't play with the sliders now well, it's a bit more digital can, but it's all a bit more digital now um but but the basis of that's amazing. It's like, what are your skincare needs and what do we need to do about that? So I think I think it is very much the fact that it is based in about around dermatology. And, you mm. know, the founding father is just a real key figure in terms of you know, cosmetic dermatology. And I guess a, a nice uh, place on which to leave this is what do you think... What do you think people are going to be talking about next in skincare? Because it does seem to be that we keep going through these tides and flows of uh, any, whether it's an ingredient or a particular type of skincare suddenly reaching critical mass and everyone sort of getting on board. What do you do? You have any uh, predictions for what's coming? What do you think people are going to be focusing on? I think the personalisation is going to get huge. Mm. Um, so already we're starting to think about how individuals respond to um, different things. And there's a lot of research going on and around how would our skin respond to, say, our dietary needs or mm. things like that. And I think this personalization is going to be taken to sort of the next level. And I think all the amazing stuff around sort of genetics um, and being able to profile people is actually going to be able to take us to the next level. So I think it's it's going to be around using some of the products that we already have um, and then sort of personalizing them. And then I think there are some other key trends. Um, for me, menopausal skin. Um, so we're learning a lot about the way that we can um, try, because women now are spending so much time in their postmenopausal state, about the sorts of products that we can do to sort of try and simulate the, the effects of estrogens and things mm-hmm. like that. So I think, I think personalization, looking at different times of life, um, those are, for me are some really key trends. Oh, well, watch this space. So exciting, isn't it? Come back, won't you? Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been so interesting speaking to you, actually. Such a I've, pleasure. Not actually, that sounds... <laughs> but it's been really, really interesting because I've learned a lot today. And um, even that um, skincare behind the ear for sensitive skin. Oh, good. I love that. That's my new favourite tip that I'm going to give to people oh, <laughs> with so sensitive glad. skin. Um, thank you so much for joining me, listeners. Obviously, the links to everything that was discussed in the episode will be available in the show notes. And obviously, your social media links, the links to get in touch with you will also be there. And they can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode. But for now, Emma, thank you so much. Thanks, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate your time. If you have any questions from the show and you'd like to get in touch, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy a bigger conversation, not just with me, but with other listeners of the show, then please do click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming or downloading this episode, and join the Facebook group. Answer two questions and you can chat with thousands of other podcast listeners. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.